Hello, welcome to the Hidden History of Texas. I'm your host, Hank Wilson, and this is episode 36, The Comanche, strong warriors with fine horses. Hey, before I get started, I want to introduce you all to a set of books called The Music is Murder Saga. These novels by Heather O'Brien follow the lives and loves of the O'Connors, the Grants, and the Lockharts. Something or someone ties these three families together and you'll be caught up in the drama of their situations. The books are set in the world of rock and roll, and you'll be hooked from page one. The first book you're going to want is Lockhart Sound. And as someone who has worked in the music industry, let me tell you, the story could and does happen. Check out her site, booksbyheather.com. Booksbyheather.com. You won't be disappointed. And as her site says, long live rock and roll. Now, last time... I spoke about the three main groups of people, the Caddo, the Karankawa, and the Yumano, who were living in Texas when the Spanish first came into Texas. They did their best to adjust and live with the Spanish, but unfortunately, they were not prepared to deal with the diseases and, frankly, the violence they were often met with. Now, there are three other groups who more people are probably familiar with due to TV and the movies. They are the Comanches, the Apache, and the Kiowa. All three played a significant role in the early history of Texas, and all three were involved in conflict with the newcomers and between themselves, and the newcomers, of course, being both Spanish and Anglo. Now a word, a quick word, about the use of the word tribe when it comes to talking about these groups of peoples. We often substitute tribe for people, but tribe is probably one of the most inexact, nonspecific terms that we can use. I try to avoid it because not all of the natives of Texas spoke the same language, had the same customs, shared the same clans, or saw themselves as separate and distinct from their neighbors, which members of a classical tribe do. The Indians of Texas often remade themselves and did so with people who had different languages, customs, and families. So I will do my best to refer to the people by the name they currently use. Occasionally, using the word tribes or clans or peoples. And if anyone knows the more appropriate words, please let me know. Don't hesitate to let me know. I appreciate it. Now, in this episode, I want to talk about the Comanche. Oh, most folks are familiar with them due to shows such as Lonesome Dove, Last of the Comanche, Comanche Station, The Comancheros, and Searchers. Historically accurate? Yeah, not so much, except for their depiction of the Comanche as being master horsemen. They were indeed known to many as some of the finest horsemen ever seen, but who were they? Well, initially, the Comanche lived in the northern Great Plains and were a branch of the northern Shoshones. They, like most of the clans at that time, traveled by foot and were hunters and gatherers. It appears that sometime in the late 17th century, that is the mid to late 1600s, they acquired horses. And once that happened, the game changed and so did their lives. But what caused the Comanche to migrate from their ancestral homelands? Well, as I mentioned, the Comanches acquired horses. And once they achieved mobility, they were able to leave their traditional mountain home range and then moved into the plains of eastern Colorado and western Kansas. As with the majority of hunter-gatherer peoples, they followed the food. They also learned if they traveled south, they would be able to gather the wild mustangs who roamed the southwest. When this was coupled with a warm client and buffalo, moving made even more sense. 
Now, once they began their move, they also began to trade with the Wichita, who lived around the Red River. This gave them access to French goods, including firearms. Now, even though they had arms and were excellent horsemen, they were also under pressure from the Blackfoot and Crow people in their north and east. And as a result of their migration, a large swath of the South Plains, much of north central and west Texas, became Comanche country. Now, interestingly, they only became known as Comanches, which came from the Ute word Kamansia, which means enemy. The literal meaning is one who likes to fight me all the time. The Spanish refined it to Comanche, but they called themselves Nermernu, or the people. There was no one single body of people. Instead, they lived in numerous groups or bands. The bands changed based on their members' needs and goals. While 13 major Comanche bands have been identified during this time period, there were most likely many more that were left out. Now, five major bands played the most important roles in Comanche and Texas history. The group further south were the Pinateca, also known as Honey Eaters. They controlled an area from the Edwards Plateau, where I live, to the headwaters of central Texas rivers. This area encompasses Austin and the Texas Hill Country, and as a result, they played probably the most prominent role in Texas history, especially in relations between the Comanche and the settlers. Now, residing in an area north of Panateca Country were the Nakomi, those who turned back. The Nakonis roamed from around Cross Timbers region in North Texas to the mountains of New Mexico. Now, this is a very narrow strip of land and fairly distant from the main settler populations of Texas. And as a result, the Nakonis didn't interact too much with the settlers. There were two smaller bands, the Tanima, liver eaters, and the Tenawa, those who stayed downstream, downstream, that actually shared the range of the Nakonis. Historians all, you know, quite often refer to these three divisions c collectively as middle Comanches, okay? They refer to them as middle Comanches. Now, going north and reaching into what is now western Oklahoma were the Kotsutakas, or buffalo eaters. They often made camp near the Canadian River. The Canadian starts in Colorado, passes through New Mexico, the Panhandle of Texas, and Oklahoma. It is a tributary of the Arkansas River and is the longest tributary of the Arkansas. The band that lived the furthest north was the Yamparicas, a.k.a., also known as Yap Eaters, a name which came from their having derived from their eating a potato-looking root that they called the Yap. Now, the fifth major band was called the Quahadas, the antelopes, and they traveled and controlled the high plains of the Llano Escatado. Now, as long as they were free, the Comanches remained a nomadic people. They subsisted primarily on buffalo, which, in addition to food, gave them, well, food, obviously, clothing and shelter. They would supplement their diet with wild roots, fruits, and nuts. They also ate produce, which they obtained by trade with neighboring agricultural tribes, primarily the Wichita and Caddo groups to the east and the Pueblo tribes to the west. Now, due to how the American school system teaches history, mostly from the viewpoint of the Anglos, many people grew up thinking that the Comanches, Apaches, and others were true savages with no social structure. That's patently false. 
The Comanche political organization had a strong democratic principle. Each tribal division had both civil or peace chiefs and war chiefs. But traditionally, the head civil chief was most influential. The leaders gained their authority by displaying special abilities or prowess. They stayed in power only as long as they were able to keep the confidence of band members. Now, leaders were chosen by the consent of band members. All decisions that affected the group were made by a council of chiefs presided over by the head civil chief. Now, even though the council would and could make a decision, individuals were not bound to accept council decisions. Comanche society gave each individual a great deal of freedom, and that freedom was a contributing factor in the complicated relations the Comanche would have with Europeans. Now, in 1706, Spanish officials in New Mexico noted how there were numerous Comanches on the northeastern frontier of the province. The Comanches, moving south, came into contact and conflict with tribes that were already on the South Plains. One of these groups were the Apaches, and they had been the dominant force in the region for years. The arrival of the Comanche forced the Apaches to move south, and as a result, they became mortal enemies. The first historically documented evidence of Comanches in Texas took place in 1743. A small band, most likely only a scouting party, showed up at the Spanish settlement of San Antonio. They were looking for their enemies, the Lipan, Lipan, Lipan Apaches. Now, although no hostilities took place at this time, it became obvious that the Comanches believed that the Spanish and Apaches were allies. It took another 15 years, and those 15 years passed before the Spanish truly understand the significance and size of the Comanche presence. It took place in 1758 when a force of almost 2,000 Comanches and some of the tribes that were allied with them attacked a Spanish mission. The mission had been built for the Apaches on the San Saba River near present-day Menard, ruins of which are still there, but viewing is limited. Santa Cruz de San Saba mission was sacked and burned, and eight of its inhabitants, including two priests, were killed. The next year, the Spanish sent out an expedition led by Colonel Diego Ortiz Parrilla to punish the Comanche. They were defeated by the Comanches and their allies in a day-long battle on the Red River near the site of present-day Spanish Fort. Now, there were two of the conflicts the Comanche took part in, and in a future episode, I'll discuss more of their encounters with their enemies and also with the settlers. The Comanche did not go quietly, and they gained the utmost respect from all of their enemies. Now, next time, I'm going to explore the life of the Apache. Now, if you get a chance, subscribe to the podcast. I try to keep posting new episodes. Sometimes, though, life gets in the way, and there's a gap between. But hey, and remember, if you want more information on Texas history, visit the Texas State Historical Association. I also have three audiobooks on the hidden history of Texas, one which deals with the 1500s to about 1820, one 1820s to 1830, and the latest release, 1830 to 1836. That's the Texas Revolution period. You can find the books uh, pretty much wherever you download or listen to audiobooks. Just do a search for The Hidden History of Texas by Hank Wilson. That's me. And it'll pop right up. Links to all the stores are on my publisher's website, https 
colon forward slash forward slash aspenavis.com or at my website, arctx.org. That's arctx.org. Thanks for listening, y'all. I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.